scripture reading this morning will be from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who, grew, who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked about how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm grateful to my fellow elders and to Mark and to you, the congregation, for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I want to thank Stephen for reading that long uh, scripture reading. I want to thank uh, Ben uh, for leading us in song. He does uh, such a, a super job. If you have your Bibles... Please uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We uh, will be referring mostly to this text this morning. Uh, I will, of course, be referring to other passages of Scripture as well. But uh, before getting into my lesson, uh, I I want you to uh, please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for our this another opportunity to be with you and your people. We are grateful that we were the name Christian. We are grateful that 
you have given us your word to allow us to follow you and ultimately follow your son Jesus and to be called his disciples. We pray that you will help us not only this day but every day to be bold, to be uh, committed, uh, to uh, see the example that the apostles have uh, set for us, not only in your word, uh, but by the deeds that others perform as a result of reading their words that you left with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word uh, attitude is defined in a variety of ways. But for the purpose of our lesson this morning, uh, I will define the word attitude as follows. A particular frame of mind, belief, or faith that motivates one to act. A particular frame of mind, belief, or faith that motivates one to act. As we think about what our Lord did, what I want to make the point to you this morning is that it is all about attitude. Jesus, on one occasion, expressed his attitude. It was a time when he was with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He had made her aware that he had living water that if she would receive the living water that he had, she would never thirst again. What is interesting about this encounter is that the Jews did not like Samaritans. And so when Jesus' disciples had returned from the market, they probably were a little bit um, perplexed to see Jesus talking with not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. And they asked him in this uh, area of scripture, uh, they asked him uh, if he wanted some food to eat. And Jesus' answer was a classic, but it uh, expressed his attitude as it pertained to his performing the work of mission for the Lord. The text in John, the fourth chapter, verses 34 through 38, reads like this. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. As Christians, that is, disciples of Jesus Christ, we should have the kind of attitude that motivates us for the cause of Christ. That is, an attitude that activates us or motivates us to action, to act on behalf of the cause of Christ. We often refer to this term for the cause of Christ. 
without giving really any serious thought as to what it means. Allow me to define it this way for the purposes of my lesson. It means doing good for Christ within the spirit and intent of Christ. It means doing good for Christ within the spirit and intent of Christ. When it comes to uh, displaying our faith, every Christian should be a leader and a follower. We should be in the continual business of making a continuing effort to lead others to Christ. And we should follow our Lord's great commission and the apostles' teaching as outlined in the New Testament as we make it our mission effort to reach out. In Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 46, Jesus is in the presence of his disciples, and he is hearing them say to him, Lord, Lord. But he says something very interesting at this point. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? In other words, am I your Lord or am I your Lord or not? You are my disciples or are you my disciples or not? Are you going to follow what I am instructing you to do or not? Let's go back to Acts 4. In Acts 4, beginning with verse 1, the Bible reads, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Have you ever watched the movie Cool Hand Luke? It, uh, it's an old movie. It came out uh, back in November 1967. That's how old it is. And there have been subsequent releases. But in that particular movie, there was a man, I think the actor was Paul Newman, who defied the, the warden. And he was always getting in trouble. And the warden did not like being upstaged, and he would respond to Paul Newman by punishing him and others around him. And each time he would punish them, he would say, what we have here is a failure to communicate. In Acts 4, we have the disciples who have the right attitude, and there are some authorities who have the wrong attitude. Both were motivated in diametrically opposite directions. It's very apparent from the text that the disciples had a different vision than the authorities who were trying to talk them into submission when they dedicated 
or dictated and dedicated what they wanted them to say. They were dedicated, the disciples, to their mission, and they had a particular vision. The disciples had a vision for the future, and they were committed to the cause of Christ, the spirit and intent of Christ, even to the point of being willing to give up their lives in support of this vision. They had an attitude that activated them, an attitude that activates. Here is proof text of a good or mediocre disciple of Jesus Christ. A righteous attitude is the impetus for developing a Christ-like vision. In other words, a vision for the future. A vision for the future. The disciples' attitudes reflected their vision and reveals their undivided commitment to the cause of Christ. Every dedicated disciple will communicate their vision to others. Every dedicated disciple of Jesus Christ will communicate their vision to others. Oh, uh, if we could just be on fire for the Lord, like the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote, But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah, the 20th chapter, and verse 9. Jesus came into this world with a clear vision for the future. Jesus seldom ever said, my vision for the future is this or that. Vision is communicated through values, purpose, example, and actions. Jesus came into the world with a clear vision, a clear vision for the future. Again, vision is communicated through values, purpose, example, and actions. Jesus communicated his vision through his core values and beliefs, his purpose in life, his example, the actions he took that were required to achieve his vision. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, we see where he is talking to his disciples and others on the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins by stating the be attitudes, or the be attitudes, attitudes you are to be. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, he makes them aware that there's no need to worry, that he and his father can supply all their needs. In John the 10th chapter, in verse 10, he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Or in some passages, I believe the NIV says, to the full. 
In John the 13th chapter, he makes the point that the greatest of all will be the servant for the rest as he washes the disciples' feet. He makes them aware in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 19 and following, that they are to emulate his actions by making disciples. He points out in John, the fourth chapter, do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We can look around even in this auditorium and we can see those who have been added to the Lord as a result of being baptized in Christ. But as we leave this building, we can see many others that pose a question in our minds. Do we have the kinds of attitude that will activate us to find out where they are as it pertains to their Christianity? The disciples' attitudes reflected their vision and revealed their undivided commitment to the cause of Christ. Our attitudes must activate us for the cause of Christ in accomplishing our mission here at MacArthur Park Church of Christ. Jesus' disciples had a vision for the cause of Christ, and that vision was burning in their hearts, and they were motivated to act. Because the disciples had the vision of Jesus burning in their hearts, they were motivated to action by four attitudes that helped to change the world. Commitment. Trust. Boldness. Generosity. They were committed to Christ. They trusted Christ. They were emboldened by Christ especially in witnessing his resurrection from the dead. And they, they recognized that God's word was in him. Generosity for others was a byproduct of their relationship to Christ and with one another. We, too, must have an uncompromising commitment to our mission. The question every Christian should ask themselves is, am I being committed to God or man as I live, work, and play? And most importantly, am I committed to carrying out my Christian duty? Notice the disciples and the situation that they were in and how they responded. In Acts, the fourth chapter, verses 19 through 20, we see where they indicated whether it is right in the sight of God to give, heed to, your, to, uh, to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Why were the disciples committed? They were committed ultimately because they recognized that the Sadducees did not really have their act together. They were committed because they recognized 
that they would be successful in their ministry. They were committed because they knew that God would be with them. After all, Jesus had said to them, I'm going to send to you the Comforter, and he will help to lead you and guide you into the truth. And then they recognized that salvation was available only through Jesus Christ. Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 through 12. Acts 4, verse 12. As we refer to Acts, the fourth chapter, we can see very clearly that the disciples were committed, that they were willing to take action. We can see the result of their commitment. In Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 20, They said, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Literally, in the Greek, we cannot not speak what we have seen and heard. A double negative is poor grammar in English, but in Greek, it's not only good grammar, but it adds emphasis. It would be unthinkable, it would be unthinkable not to speak. As we reflect on this passage, Do you think the disciples were committed? Do you think they had confidence in Jesus as their advocate with God and against the world? They were committed because they had prayerful trust in God's eternal providential care. Acts the fourth chapter in verse 23 through 28. They had the attitude that they were going to change the world. Prayer is the enduring glue that cements our trust and continuing relationship in our Lord. Notice Acts 4:24 and Acts 4:27-28. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, "You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them." Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this, in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God worked through them, but they certainly were going to pay the consequences. In other words, in the words of a songwriter, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Why? The answer is because he is the source. He was and he is the source of their comfort. They were unified in prayer. They, they recognized that Christ was sovereign. And they had the lessons of history. They had the purpose of the cross. He was the source of the disciples' comfort, and he is every bit the very source of ours. That's why we need to strive to have an attitude that activates. In fact, we have every reason to be confident in seeking to accomplish our mission and even to be diplomatically 
bold about it. They had spirit-filled boldness in proclaiming the message. In Acts 4, verses 29 through 31, we see where the disciples prayed to God in their quest for boldness. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When was the last time you prayed for boldness when you were confronted with standing up for the cause of Christ? I'm sure you have heard the quip that if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? They prayed for more of the very thing they had gotten in trouble about. We need to pray for boldness because Satan is always at work. He is always making a continuing effort to defeat us. He will use fear, intimidation, persecution, division. As my father would say, he would throw the whole kitchen sink at you. Even though Satan is more powerful than we are individually, and sometimes collectively, we are blessed with the grace of God. We can never give up. The Apostle Paul wrote to, to Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith, 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter and verse 12. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we all have abundant grace that is given to us by our Lord, and with that abundant grace, we have abundant influence. And that abundant grace will help us to have the right kind of attitude and remember, for the purpose of our lesson this morning, attitude is defined as a particular frame of mind, belief, or faith that motivates us to act. With abundant grace from God, we can build body life, that is the body of Christ. We can intensify our outreach. We can meet all the needs of the church, and incidentally, from a value standpoint, all the needs of this world. And we can produce great leaders for God. We must be willing to put forth the effort. The key to evangelistic success is effort. Everything we do for the cause of Christ must include personal effort. The question every disciple of Jesus Christ should ask themselves is what is my attitude when it comes to supporting the cause of Christ? May God help us to be energetic. May God help us to be energetic and not apathetic. I'm confident if we have the right attitude with God's help, we will succeed in our efforts to love God, love people, and change our world. Remember, commitment, trust, boldness, and trusting in God's grace. Does this sound familiar to you? Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May God help us to have an attitude 
that activates. This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to continue to advance the cause of Christ as a result of your coming back to him. Not from the standpoint only of being outside of Christ because you have been wayward, but from the standpoint of perhaps you not being as active for Christ as you know you should be. And then there are those who are outside of Christ who have not been able to, you might say, tap into his grace and his power because you've never come to know Christ by way of putting him on in baptism, by surrendering your life to him. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. Whatever your need may be, we would like for you to let us know as we stand and sing. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me so weak and sinful, oh, 